Welcome to Married to Murder. I'm Clint. And I'm Summer. And we're a true crime podcast. Where I tell him all of my favorite true crime stories, and he's hearing it for the first time, just like you. So sit back, relax, and enjoy a tale of murder. Welcome back again, y'all. We've got another tale for you today. We're super excited. <laughs> Forgive us, uh, we may have had a little COVID deal with to deal with uh, this past week. Yeah, if I sound icky still, sorry. And I apologize for the shorter episode last week. That was really supposed to be a bonus episode. But unfortunately, I've been sick for a week and a stinking half, and I'm tired of it. (laughs) They should know this. I did put a little disclaimer at the beginning of the episode. I know, but I still need to personally apologize. Would it be a disclaimer, or would it be, I don't know, would it be an announcement? Notification. Either which way, they were notified. They were told. Yeah. Not how I wanted to spend my PTO days. It, is anybody ever want to spend their PTO days sick? No, but I feel like I've been sick a lot lately, and it's annoying. I think the worst time to get sick is when you already have a vacation scheduled and paid for. Yeah, that's bad. And you get sick either the day of vacation starting. Or, or on vacation? Yeah. Because then you're, you're not you're near your normal doctors. You're not near your normal people. I got sick at Disney World. Oh, that shit. You know, and then you've got the problem of, oh, I don't know where to go to get health care in this random area I'm at. Urgent care. Yep. But you got to find one. But Google helps. I was going to say, Google will do that for you. <laughs> Google knows all. you just be waiting forever and it sucks. But anyway, <sighs> God willing, I am on the mend and we can get back to our regularly scheduled programming. Regularly? Regularly. So. We're actually recording this the day before it goes out, which is something we never do, thank God, because I don't like it. I like to have my stuff organized and planned. Well, hello, Nala. But I haven't felt like writing, researching, or anything. I've just been plopping. Sorry about any random noise y'all may have just heard. Uh, Nala decided to come visit. They think she's cute. Little do they know. Well, they're not wrong. She is cute. She's the devil kitty. She's a sweet little devil, though. But she's a devil kitty. She's mean to everybody for no damn reason. I can hear her purring. You're going to have to edit that out. <laughs> no, nah, they get to hear the purr. They don't want to hear the purr. They might not even be cat people. Well, they've heard Luke. Now they get to hear Nala purr. So loud. <laughs> okay, so our warnings for today. Murder. Shocker, I know. Oh, wow, really? Murder? Uh, miscarriage. Miscarriage. Um... Okay. Affairs. Okay. Um, so kind of a, the usual gamut, so to speak? Well, miscarriage isn't something we normally talk about, <laughs> but I know that can be triggering for some people. So, yeah. And we are, you know, it's part of the story, so we need to talk about it. We can't just skip over it. And we're talking miscarriage, not an abortion, something along those lines. No, 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 no. Absolute miscarriage. Okay. Yeah, definitely a miscarriage. Um, so... We are going to be, our technically, our story is in 2014 in 29 Palms, California, which is a military base, but our story does include several people, so we're going to start off with Aaron first. Aaron. Okay. One of my favorite names, because that's my baby niece. Well, she's not a baby anymore. She's got a baby, but she'll always be my baby girl. So we're talking about Aaron <laughs> Renee Haviland. Was born July 15th, 1994 in Chattanooga, Tennessee. 
Hey, we've been there. I know. Hey. Interesting little town, mind you. I like Chattanooga. It was it was a little bit hot though. Compared to here, it's a it's a different kind of heat. It is whatever. As cliche as it is, say it was a different type of heat, but definitely a fun little town. At two weeks old, her birth mother put her up for adoption. Oh no! She ended up with foster parents Bill and Laura Havlin. They took her in and ultimately adopted her. Oh, happy ending there. Yeah. She grew up in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. You ever heard of Oak Ridge? I have. I want to say that's kind of halfway between Nashville and Pigeon Forge and all that. It's famous for something. You know what it's famous for? Not right off. I've I've heard of it before. You've probably heard of it. And when I say why, you're going to be like, oh, yeah. Probably. Its nickname is Atomic City. Be one of the first nuclear power plants in the country. In 1942, Oak Ridge was chosen to create materials for the Manhattan Project. Yeah. Remember what the Manhattan Project was? I'm not very versed in it. It was created to develop nuclear weapons during World War II. Okay. So, the population of Oak Ridge grew from 3,000 in 1942 to 75,000 in 1945. Okay, so the question I have is, do they still have nuclear programs and such in Oak Ridge? I have an answer for you. But but first... Look at you. You got answers today. I researched, because I found this stuff interesting. I knew that when... when, (sighs) Like, I knew... Like, why Oak Ridge... Like, I immediately knew why it was famous. So, like, I researched it, because I found that interesting. So, the K-25 Uranium Separation Building... Covered 44 acres, making it the largest building in the world at the time. That's a rather large Which is kind of cool, right? That the biggest building in the world was in Tennessee. There'd be so much room for activities in there. Well, it was apparently, and I'm just going off memory because I didn't write all this down, but it was apparently the area, of course, was obviously 3,000, so it was less populated. This was all supposed to be secret. It was in a valley, but it was close to highways and train transportation. So that's why it was a good spot for it initially, because they basically took this land from Tennessee and were like, we're making it federal land. And initially their government was not okay with that. So they had to like basically force their way in. But of course they brought in so many jobs, but it was still a secret. That building is no longer there. It wasn't destroyed until 2013, which is kind of crazy. You figured it would have been a lot sooner than that, but it was not. So the question I have is, why was it de- uh, why was it destroyed? Didn't say. Uh, well, why not? Two other facilities created for the Manhattan Project <laughs> are still standing. And they are used for nuclear weapons processing and storage. And the other building is a graphite test reactor. So the question I have now is, how many people in Oak Ridge have multiple limbs and other mutations because of all this radiation. The internet does not tell you that stuff because that's a secret. Sounds like a good way for urban legends to get started, though. That's a conspiracy theory. You ask anybody, everything's that conspiracy theory. (laughs) There are some people out there that think conspiracy theories are conspiracy theories. Agree. Bill and Laura, the family that adopted her, Mm -hmm. and they were kind of amazing people. Amazing? Yeah. Just very, very salt-of-the-earth people. Bill actually worked for the post office. 
My grandfather worked for the post office, too. I know. And in 1978, they had their oldest child, Christy. In 1980, they had a son, Keith. They were very active in the church. And when both kids were in elementary school, they felt like God led them to start fostering. So they ended up, we're going to talk about all the kids that they adopted, but despite all of these children they adopted, they had numerous kids that they fostered along the way. So multiple children have been blessed with this family. Or curse, depending on the children's outlook. I don't think anybody's going to, like, watching their interviews, listening, you know, reading the book, they definitely come across as very sincere, loving family. Oh, I, I have no doubt, but you know, try as you might, not everybody's going to have a positive outcome in every situation. Oh, I don't know. In 1992, they adopted two of their foster children, Alex, who suffered for fetal alcohol syndrome, and his older brother, John. They wanted to keep the siblings together. Oh, that's nice, though. Right? In 1995, they adopted a 15-year-old girl named Taylor. Christy and Taylor were both 16 when Aaron was adopted, and they pretty much adored their little baby sister. Almost treated her kind of like a doll. Carried around it, everything with her. Oh, God. I mean, she was itty-bitty, and they were 16, so, of course, they adored her. Because of Alex's disabilities, Laura ended up homeschooling Alex. And since she was already homeschooling Alex, she ultimately did the same as well with Aaron, which created a very naive and sheltered Aaron. Well, unfortunately, that is generally kind of a byproduct of most homeschooling. Like, most of her... Social interaction was through church and the ranch that we're going to talk about later. So very, almost very isolated socially, so to speak. Just introduced only to good people, kind of. Like, never taught that people could be evil, mean, liars type situation. She just saw the good in people. So that's kind of part of the story. That's the only reason... You kind of got to experience the bad in the world to really appreciate the good. But I do understand wanting to protect the children. Of course. So in 1999, when Aaron was five, Bill and Laura adopted their last child, baby Trisha. Now, Trisha was born with multiple birth defects, including spina bifida. She required oxygen, a feeding tube, sleep apnea monitor, and more. They thought to the earth people taking this in. Unfortunately... On April 29, 2003, Trisha would pass away from sepsis. Yeah. She was about three years old. Sounds like she was dealt a shitty hand to begin with. Correct. But it really, from that point on, they did not adopt anymore. They continued to foster, but it really hit them hard. I feel like they were starting to get up in age a little bit at this point. A little bit. <laughs> Aaron was a huge animal lover. She was in 4-H and was constantly at the East Tennessee Riding Club. Pretty much lived there. Okay. Her mom did an interview, and she's like, I told Aaron we weren't getting a horse. And she goes, we actually got two. Isn't that how it always works? <laughs> she competed in barrel racing, showmanship, trial, hunter, and hunter jump competitions. They would, according to all the stories, she would take, like, the most difficult horse and... Just magic. Like, she could train them all. And she was tiny. She was only 5'2", 120 pounds. Uh, that is a small person. Yeah. 
So she was tiny, and these big horses did not scare her at all. She could just, they said she was a magician when it came to animals. They can smell your fear. She had none. She even worked at a vet clinic when she was only 14, but pretty much decided she couldn't be a vet because she couldn't put them to sleep. That would be the hardest part, yes. Yeah. That's the only reason she wasn't wanting to be a vet. (laughs) And she wasn't just good with horses. She was good with all animals. If you show almost every picture that she's in that's not like a formal picture, like her prom picture, her wedding pictures and stuff like that, she's got an animal on her shoulder, like a bird, a cat, a horse. Somewhere there's an animal somewhere in the picture with her. What about reptiles? Didn't see any with reptiles. Good for her. (laughs) (laughs) She was very beautiful and petite, like I said. She had brown hair and blue eyes. And as we talked about, she is described as very naive and trusting, and she just saw the good in people. Now, in fifth grade, Aaron met Jonathan Wayne Corwin, who was a year older than Aaron. They met at the horse ranch, but it wasn't like they became instant friends. They just met and then kind of went their separate ways. But he's coming back. Oh, Lord. He was... a boomerang. That's just their little introduction of, you know, it's just cute that they met in fifth grade. When she was in fifth grade and he was in sixth grade. His parents were Tommy Corwin and Sheila Braden, and they ended up getting divorced. He had an older brother and a younger sister. John is described as very (laughs) stoic, reserved, and quiet. That's a big part of his personality. He internalizes his emotions. He's not... This bubbly, outgoing person who's very demonstrative. He's very, you know, like the person who's going to be at the party who's over on the side just sitting watching everybody. He's not going to be all up in it, getting into everybody's stuff. So he's kind of the low-key guy. Definitely. He was very much an outdoorsman, grew up in the Tennessee country. and he liked requirement. <laughs> yeah, he liked four-wheeling and shooting guns. Right, what, what country boy doesn't? When Aaron was a sophomore in high school, she and John reconnected. So she's a sophomore. He's a junior. And this is one of the sweetest things ever. On her 16th birthday, he goes to her parents and asks for permission to date her. Because she couldn't date till she was 16. Now, for a religious household, makes sense. From that point on, they were pretty much inseparable. Aaron actually got a job at the tractor supply company. Which, that's what we have down here in Zachary, right? Uh, tractor supply store? Yeah. And not just down here. They're all over. Well, yeah, because she actually, that's where she was working. And she became best friends with one of her co-workers, Jesse Trentham. When John graduated, he joined the Marines. Like, this was his long-term plan, long-term goal. He knew this was long, you know, wasn't like a random decision. Like, this was a planned out. He knew this was going to happen. This is what he wanted to do, and he was going to make it happen. Exactly. On July 4th. 2012, surrounded by fireworks, John proposed to a 17-year-old Aaron. Uh, I'm stupid. He was in Louvre, and so was she. Why are you she laughing? You don't know shit at 17. <laughs> no, but it's true you don't, but... I mean, hell, you know. even at almost 40, I still don't know a whole lot. Nope. On November 10th, after a military ball... They were the military ball was in Vegas. They ended up getting married in Vegas. Oh Lord! And Aaron stayed in Tennessee while John was deployed to Japan. Oh, you got to go to Japan, huh? Yep. In September 2013, Aaron moved to 29 Palms in California to join John. 
the military base over there. Correct. Or one of the military bases. Yeah, there's say. a bazillion military bases in California. But 29 Palms is 142 miles east of Louisiana. Ugh, Los it, Angeles. It's a little farther than that. <laughs> Los Angeles, not Louisiana. I see LA and I think Louisiana. Sorry, y'all. My mind just translates. John and Aaron chose to live on base in one of the married apartments. Okay, so their building... Small financial decision there. Yes. Their building had three apartments downstairs and three apartments upstairs. Okay. So, lots of married couples. The Corwins lived in Unit F, which was one of the upstairs apartments next door to the Lee. So, let's talk about the Lees. Who were they? Uh, the neighbors. Yep. <laughs> Christopher Brandon Lee was born September 12, 1989 to Dennis and Karen Lee, and he grew up in Anchorage, Alaska. Interesting. He had an older brother. His dad was actually from Hawaii. So if you look How the at, hell does a Hawaiian end up in Alaska? <laughs> he did. Um, Karen was um, actually visiting Alaska and met him in Alaska and ended up staying. But So if you look at him, he has a little bit of like an Asian... He's got kind look. of that Samoan look. Yeah, because and he's he's actually a really pretty big guy, um, a lot bigger than John was. He had an older brother Robert, a younger sister Maylee, and an even younger brother Stephen. Chris was very outdoorsy as well. He liked camping, fishing, and hunting. He played football in high school. Was really popular, but is described as very immature. A lot, mm. John. Well, I mean, he's in high school. So, yeah. yeah, but extra immature. Some would say that about me, too. That would not be wrong. Like I'm John, not and, it. <laughs> <laughs> Like John and Aaron, when Chris was a junior, he started dating blonde, blue-eyed sophomore, Nicole. Like Aaron, she loved animals. Unlike Aaron, she's described as lazy. Nothing wrong with being lazy. We'll talk about Aaron as we go through our story. Oh, I mean, not Aaron. Well, we'll talk about Aaron. We'll talk about Nicole. At 17, Nicole became pregnant. Oh. And in February 2018, she gave birth to a baby girl, Liberty. Eh, not a horrible name. A cute name. Not the worst either. Liberty Lee. Yeah. I like Liberty. I don't know if I like Liberty Lee. There's a lot of alliteration. I, I, I can see some teasing happening in school because of that. In July of that year, Chris joined the Marines and was stationed at 29 Palms. And he and Nicole were married in June of 2009. Apparently, neither of them were very big on doing, like, house chores, keeping a neat house. Their house is described as very, very messy. Um, they, at times, would stay with friends due to various reasons before they moved on to the base. And it's pretty much described like Nicole was just, like, laying on the couch, wouldn't help with any housework. They eventually had to ask them to leave just because... They would, like, eat their food and not help with anything, not help contribute to the bills, constantly leaving Liberty for somebody else to watch. That's a theme through this, is that they would, we're going to talk about another couple that lives in the um, apartment. Are we just going to talk about all the couples that live in the apartment? One more couple after this. but So just half the couples that live in the apartment? Yes, just half. They're part of our story. <laughs> uh, they also weren't good with money. Hmm. Chris liked like to that. spend willy-nilly. We're not great with money. We know it. We're not great, but we're not as bad as some people. Uh, Chris is said to have anger <sighs> issues that became even worse after he returned from deployment to Afghanistan. Not uncommon from what I understand. Not uncommon, but his is for a different reason. 
he did not see actual combat in Afghanistan. He was there, but he did not have to shoot anybody or actually see actual combat. So he planted no freedom seeds? And he was disappointed that he didn't see combat. So he came back depressed because he didn't actually get to kill anybody. Oh, well, that's a shitty reason to be depressed. Right? So his isn't what you would think when when somebody comes back from being deployed and they're having possibly some PTSD or some type of psychological issues, you're going to assume that it's because of they've seen some horrible stuff, not because they're upset because they didn't get to actually be in combat. He wanted to plant freedom seeds. He's a different little fellow. <laughs> John and Aaron also became friends with the couple that lived downstairs in Unit E, our last couple, Connor and Ainsley Malacky. Ainsley was pregnant with her first child when the Corwins moved in, and they had Brian in November of 2013. Okay. Ainsley and Aaron became fast friends, with Ainsley stating how mature for her age and how caring Aaron was. All three couples would barbecue together. They watched movies. They would hung out together a lot on the weekends. They would go over and watch, like, The Walking Dead. They, you know, just different things. They were pretty much together all the time. I could never get into The Walking Dead. I know. I don't like it either, but... I, we we tried it several times and never could. It just never struck us. We never like the shows that everybody else likes. We're weird. Exactly. You can almost guarantee if it's a show that everybody we didn't like, about... We didn't like Breaking Bad. Nope. So, yeah. I mean, we're just weird. The better reviews it gets from critics, the generally the worse we think it is. I don't know why we're weird, but we're weird. But either way, the point is they but spent a lot. Fun. They spent a lot of time together. And as I, the guys would go like shooting or hiking in the desert. Are we talking brokeback mountain hiking? No, just <laughs> hanging out. Just hanging out, and the girls would gossip and you know do their thing. Girls gossip never. Boys gossip too. You know they do. Don't lie. Yeah, but we don't call it gossip. What do you call it? Shooting the shit. That's still gossiping. <laughs> well, we can't call it gossiping because then it doesn't sound, sound manly. Exactly. It doesn't sound manly. Exactly. I'm manly. I shoot the shit. <laughs> You're so stupid. <laughs> As I said, they would frequently leave Liberty with either Ainsley or Aaron. Like, not like, hey, I'm, we're going somewhere Saturday. Can you babysit? Blah, blah, blah. It would be like they would knock on the door and be like, here, Ainsley, here's Liberty. I'm going to the store and just leave her. No, it don't work like that. They, she was very lucky that <laughs> she had two people that were willing to do this because right? it happened a lot. Um, there are stories about how Nicole was very much obsessed with football. And on NFL Sundays, she would do nothing but watch football to the point where she told her daughter, do not even speak to me. And so she would go to Ainsley and be like, I need, you know, I'm hungry or whatever, because her mom wouldn't take care of her. Now, what the heck Chris was doing, I don't know, unless he was on base at that time. But Sounds like a weird dynamic to me. It, very much so, but very much expecting other people, they, a different version of it takes a village to raise a child. They expected help, and they weren't paying. It was, it was free babysitting. Nah, I, they crossed the line at this point. Yeah. 
So Chris and Nicole were into horses like Aaron, and they all frequently went to a local ranch called White Rock Horse Rescue that was owned by Isabel Megley. Now, John wasn't into horses. He wanted to play video games or whatever. He's a teenage boy. He's only like 19, 20 at this point. So he didn't feel like going to the horse ranch. So a lot of times it was just Aaron and the Lees over at the rescue. And they spent a lot of time there. A lot. A lot? Mm Mm-hmm. A lot, lot. A lot, lot. A lot, lot, lot. Aaron would babysit for extra money, but the Corwin still ran into some money issues, which led to fight, as it does. Money tends to be your biggest reason to fight in a marriage, it, especially a young marriage. Exactly. It, financial struggles will cause a fight almost every time. Sadly. In January, Aaron found out she was pregnant and was beyond excited. Wasn't, Yay! It wasn't planned, but she really wanted to be a mom. She loved kids. Unfortunately, she miscarried not long after, and she was devastated. She really felt like this hit her harder than it did John, and that he didn't understand and didn't care. He says it it did bother him, but he just didn't know how to express those emotions, basically. And I can see that. A 20-year-old guy not really understanding why this upsets him, much less expressing it. Mm Mm-hmm. And they were just so young. Just, I mean, they're just young. Yeah. It's a lot of adult things going on, and they're very young. Shopping became a way for Erin to handle her depression and her grief, which caused more fights due to the increased credit card debt. That'll do it. When their mutual depression, Erin <laughs> from a miscarriage, Chris because he didn't get to kill anybody in Afghanistan. Oh, boo-hoo fucking who. They bonded. Ainsley questioned the closeness. She was like, Aaron, is there something going on? Aaron's like, no, he's cute, but, you know, we're just friends. I call bullshit. Isabel, the owner of the ranch, even goes up to Nicole and says, "Uh, they're kind of flirty. What's the deal? And Nicole's like, no, it's fine. They're just friends. They're just helping each other. You know, they're both going through some stuff, and they're just talking about it. No big deal. But it was a big deal. Things was happening. In February 2014, Chris and Aaron had their first kiss. Oh, Lord. They would meet at a playground by the apartments, or he would come over to the Corwin's apartment after John went to work. John had to be there before him. He would tell Nicole he was going to the gym or something like that, and he was really at Aaron's house. Nicole ultimately goes through his phone after she gets suspicious and finds some texts from him to Aaron and loses her shit. Idiot. Chris denied ever having sex with Aaron and said that they had only kissed. Was that statement technically true at that point in time? We're going to get into our story, sir. Oh, Lord. Nicole told John in front of their entire friend group. So John didn't know. He thinks everything's fine. Oh, so he gets blindsided in front of everybody. Blindsided in Ainsley and Connor's apartment. And says, your wife is having an affair. And Aaron was still upstairs. She hadn't come down because they were just going to do some kind of get together. And like John just walks in the door and Nicole's pissed off. And she's like, they're cheating. And John's like, I'm sorry, what? That, wow. 
talk about fucking up a whole night. Right. So he goes upstairs with Aaron. They talk it out. He forgives her. And both couples agree to work on their marriage. So awkward neighbor time begins. <laughs> you think? And this poor Malaki couple is in the middle of it. Chris was due to get out of the military on July 7th, and the Lees had planned to move back to Alaska. And John, who had originally planned on staying in the Marines, wasn't really loving it right now. So they had actually started talking about moving back to Tennessee when his enlistment ended. To his credit, John was actually nice to Chris. He tried to get past everything. They were both told, this is, you know, we just kissed. This was just a... Emotional affair, which actually emotional affairs are worse, so I don't know why everybody kept trying to downplay it like, oh, this is just emotional, don't worry about it, but... There wasn't no bumping uglies. That's what they kept saying. So, Chris actually, I mean, John tried to actually be friends with Chris and try and rebuild, because they were friends before all this happened, so he well, tried to... not just friends, but co-workers as well, so that... Co-workers, that neighbors, things- friends... So it wasn't... That makes for a whole he lot wasn't, of awkward. Yeah, he wasn't trying to be aggressive like you would think a lot of guys was being. John was very calm. Just very... That's usually the most dangerous one. We'll see. <laughs> Nicole, on the other hand, couldn't stand the sight of Aaron. Hated her guts. Reasonably so. On June 22nd, John took Aaron to the ER because she was nauseous. Okay. Aaron's pregnant. Okay. She didn't tell anyone about her pregnancy except her best friend in Tennessee, Jesse. Okay. They spoke daily and they shared their secrets and their lives with each other. She literally told Jesse everything, anything and everything. So Jesse knew what was happening with Chris, too, then. 100%. Uh. On Saturday, June 28th, Aaron was up early. She called Jesse as she got dressed and kissed John goodbye as she headed to Joshua Tree National Park to scout out locations to take her mom to when she visited the next week. Her mom had already planned to come out. She was just going to visit. She told, you know, she was wanting to take her mom to the park, so she was like, I'm just going to go find us some places to go. Joshua Tree National Park includes two deserts, the Mojave and the Colorado. And it's slightly larger than the state of Rhode Island. Okay, that doesn't take much. I mean, Rhode Island's tiny. Okay, but it's still a park. And in June, the temperatures would average 92 degrees. Relatively speaking, for a desert, that's not horrible. That's average, though. Not horrible, but also not great. Especially if you're not prepared. Right. And according to everyone, her sense of direction, not great. Not great. Not great. Not great. John stayed home and played video games. Around 4 p.m. when Aaron wasn't home, he started to worry. Why am I not shocked about that? All his calls went to voicemail. Hmm. He waited until Sunday morning, and he still hadn't heard from Aaron, and then he called the police to report her missing. She's been gone over 24 hours. Because Aaron was pregnant, and due to the extreme heat, the police took her case seriously immediately. They're thinking, you know, this girl went out into park. She got lost. She's got horrible sense of direction. She's pregnant, and she's probably dehydrated somewhere. 
So immediately searchers begin looking for her. And it looks like looking at, you know, map I got pulled up here. 29 Palms is basically right on the edge of Joshua Tree National Park. It is. I mean, it, I, I feel like you'd probably be over there fairly regularly if you. Yeah, when the there. when the boys would go hiking or hunting, that's where they were. That's going. where they were going. They would go up I don't there. Think you can hunt in national parks. They said they would go hunting coyotes and snakes. I'm not up on all the rules with in regards to hunting. I don't know if they were doing it illegally, but that's what they would say they were doing. I somehow doubt they were doing it illegally. Maybe you can, I mean, I guess you can kill snakes anywhere. I would hope so. God, me too. Lord knows I've killed several on our property. The deputies come out. Of course, they start interviewing John. Well, naturally. And then afterwards, they start canvassing the building residents. And they go to the Lees because it's just next door to them. And Chris tells the police he couldn't be much help because he didn't know Aaron that well. Just a wave hi to. I call bullshit. He also said he hadn't spoken to her in about two months. More bullshit. We're getting to a, a decent bullshit stack here. When the canvas moved downstairs, Ainsley was like, I call bullshit. <laughs> hey, she can't use my line. <laughs> she was quick to inform them that Chris did indeed know Aaron and that they had had an affair. Hmm. Go back upstairs. Uh, come with us. We got some more questions for you. She was very suspicious because Chris, you know, they had had the affair. She felt like he had a lot of anger issues. And the fact that he had asked her husband, Connor, to go hunting with him at Joshua Tree National, Joshua National, Joshua Tree National Park. Blech, that's yes. a lot of words. Joshua Tree National Park. Talking's hard again. <laughs> it's the longest name. Why couldn't they give it something else? I'm sure most people just call it Joshua Tree. Probably. Anyway, he had asked Connor to go on Saturday. Originally, Connor was delayed because he had company over. Okay. So when his company leaves, Connor calls him and says, Hey, I can meet you now. Where are you? Tells him where he's going to be. When Connor gets there, Chris isn't there. And then his phone is off the rest of the day. Hmm. Something's fishy. At 3.30, Chris finally calls Connor back. And he's like, Oh, I got lost. And I didn't have any reception. Bullshit. The reception part could be true. Because... There's not a lot of reception in the park, for sure. But, so, Connor was just pissed off, because he was like, we're going to hang out today. I wasted my time driving around looking for you, and you weren't where you said you were going to be. Yeah, I mean, that, that would piss almost anyone off, to be honest. When Chris says when he gets back from the park, he goes home. Nicole was pissed off because she hadn't been able to reach him either, and they end up taking a nap together. Police want to speak to Chris again. Now, like you said, they actually did go back upstairs, but he was already gone by then. And he wasn't answering their phone calls. Well, naturally, why would he? So they finally wait for him, and when he comes back, they get to talk to him again. This time, not in front of Nicole, he tells a different story. He admits to a relationship with Aaron, but once again, says there was no sex. 
said he hadn't talked to Aaron this time, he says, in a month. And he says that Aaron was a pathological liar. I'm calling a lot of bullshit now. According to him, Aaron had said that John was abusive and that he believed her until Nicole found out about the affair. And then when the affair comes out, then he finds out that that's all a lie, that John really wasn't abusive. And so it was all Aaron was interested in him and he's not interested in Aaron and she's a liar and I don't have anything to do with her and blah, blah, blah. And that's his story. I smell a whole lot of bullshit here. Law enforcement are like, uh, you know, Aaron's pregnant. <laughs> and he was like, no, I didn't know that. And he's like, and it can't be mine because we never had sex. Hmm. Foreshadowing. While Chris was speaking to police, Nicole drove to the horse ranch and left a long black case in the closet of the guest room, which police will later retrieve. And she was asked to bring that there by Chris before he went to go talk to the police. Wait, a long black case. Gun case. I was about to say, the only thing I could think of that would would feasibly be described as a long black case would be a gun case. And he had multiple guns. Well, being military, that's not surprising. Detective Jonathan Woods was assigned to Aaron's case. And luckily for the police, Aaron had a good friend. Jesse, as I already told you, is going to tell him everything. Jesse knows everything. She spills the tea. She does. Initially, she was kind of like, when John called her and when Aaron's mom called her, she was keeping her mouth shut because she was just, she thought Aaron was with Chris. Mm -hmm. She didn't want to tell anybody, oh, she's with Chris. And so she starts telling police, hey, why don't you find her neighbor and you can talk to him. And they're like, we already talked to him. He hasn't seen her. And she freaks out because that's who she's supposed to be with. So then she starts spilling, spilling the beans. Because hmm. she's like, if he's not with her and nobody knows where she is, something's wrong. Somebody knows where she is. They just ain't talking yet. Chris and Aaron's relationship had never ended. They just learned to hide it better. Why does that not shock me? Aaron told Jesse she was falling in love with Chris and that he had told her he was going to leave Nicole and that they were going to move to Alaska together. Jesus. They found confirmation that Aaron was searching for apartments in Alaska. I wonder what apartments in Alaska would go for, just out of curiosity. I mean, I guess it would depend. I mean, this was 2014 versus now. I guess it also depends on exactly what area. Yeah, she was looking at Anchorage. Okay. And yes, they were having sex, despite Chris's numerous denials. <sighs> Aaron actually knew she was pregnant in early June, about two weeks before her ER visit. Oh. And Aaron had told Chris about the pregnancy and was excited about his positive response. They had even discussed baby names. I'm going to guess the kid was Chris's. She said it was because her and John actually weren't sleeping together. Mm. There's so much wrong in this story so far. Right? (laughs) Chris asked Aaron to wait to tell everybody about the pregnancy, not realizing that she had already told Jesse. He had no clue she was telling Jesse all this stuff. He had no idea. 
He didn't even really know about Jesse. Not really. Because Jesse's still in Tennessee. They're talking on the phone all the time and texting back and forth. So he doesn't know their entire relationship is, has been relayed to Has the been relayed to Jesse, who knew she was cheating, knew it was wrong, but she wanted her friend to be happy, so she was trying not to be judgmental. You know, and she's only hearing one side. She's hearing John's a jerk. He took away my credit cards. He's putting me on a budget. He says I'm spending too much money. You know, you're only hearing one side of the story. So she's not John's friend. She's Aaron's friend. She's supporting Aaron. She's hearing how fabulous this Chris guy is. And he writes me poems and he tells me he loves me and blah, 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 blah. And Chris is older than Aaron. He's like 24. Okay. So he's got a few years on her. Yeah. So he's got some maturity. He's a lot more worldly than her. Obviously not much maturity. No. Well, I mean, as far as worldliness, he definitely does. Mm, it, that, that, doesn't, that don't count for much. I don't know mm. why I just stuttered there. <laughs> <laughs> That's not like me. Because you were trying to tinx. Because the brain, it started farting and it couldn't stop. <laughs> All right. Aaron had told Jesse, he was super excited. Because Chris had said he had a surprise for her. Mm. Was it a couple of freedom seeds? No, we don't know what it is. He wanted to take her to Joshua National Tree Park on Saturday, June 28th. Joshua Tree National Park. I even typed it wrong. (laughs) Joshua National Tree Park. (laughs) Brought her to the park (laughs) with some Joshua trees. Do we know that there are actual Joshua trees in this There park? are. That's why it's named that. <laughs> okay. They are. That's why. I even looked at pictures because I didn't know what a Joshua tree looked like. <sighs> but yes, he brought her to, he wanted to take her to that park on Saturday. He had a big surprise for her. <laughs> they were going to get to spend the day together, just the two of them. She was super excited. There are texts back and forth where they're trying to figure out the surprise. And honestly, she thinks he's coming with an engagement ring. And that he's going to propose while they're at the park. Um, before that can happen, don't a couple of divorces need to happen? A hundred percent. This is how immature. You say immature, I say stupid. Well, I feel bad for her because she really, truly just wanted love. It, thus far, she's kind of brought some of this onto herself. I agree, but just because you screw up, lots of people screw up, they generally get to live to make up those mistakes and and learn from them. Agreed. But she's definitely made a lot of poor decisions. So Aaron planned to meet him a few miles from the back condor gate. Chris would pick her up, and they would spend the whole day together. And like I said, they talked about what the surprise was going to be. So Jesse tells the police all of this, the engagement ring, the affair, everything. And now that they know, she lets John know, and she lets Aaron's mom know what's really going on. So she's telling everybody at this point. Yeah. John was devastated. He thought they were working on their marriage, and now he knows Aaron planned to leave him, and her baby wasn't even his. Hmm. Damn. That... It's kind of rough. Your wife is missing. And she is claiming she loves this other guy. Uh, I'm sure he felt like he got chewed up, spit out, and stomped on. Pretty much. 
John and Aaron's parents headed from Tennessee to California to help with the search. And her blue Corolla was found parked on the side of Ranch Road, five miles from Joshua Tree Park. Okay. Police pulled phone records and found that Aaron's phone was turned off within an hour of her leaving her of her leaving the apartment. So both they pull Aaron's phone records and Chris's phone records. And both their phones left the base around 7:30 a.m. Saturday. Separately, but in the general, they're going in the general same vicinity. They're both heading east. At 7.38 a.m., Chris was near where Aaron's car was left. Hmm. At 8.04 a.m., Aaron's phone is turned off. At 8.22 a.m., Chris's phone is shut off and wasn't turned back on until 3.13 p.m. When Chris was just outside the entrance of Joshua Tree Park at 3.15. A whole lot of things adding up to be bad here. Police suspected Chris and Aaron's disappearance, but also John. I mean, he's the husband, and the husband did it as a thing for a reason. Right. And Aaron was having an affair, and she was pregnant by another man. So you've got motive for sure. The husband could definitely do it. Also, why did he wait until Sunday to report her missing? She left Saturday morning. John told Detective Woods he believed that he had to wait 24 hours before calling. And that was why he didn't report her. Eh, somewhat reasonable. That needs to be, people need to get that out of their head. <laughs> as soon as somebody's missing, report them. Never wait. John appeared unemotional and distant, but agreed to take a polygraph, which he later passed. I mean, honestly, can you blame him for being unemotionally in, unemotional and di- indifferent at this point? I mean, given the bombs that have been dropped on him in the recent past, I'm sure he kind of had that whatever mentality at that point. I think he was just, I mean, I think it was just his personality. I think he was just flat. I mean, that's just who he is as a person. I mean, I feel like like going through that. I think he still loved Erin. I think he still wanted her back. Safely. I'm not disagreeing with you, but I do kind of feel like that situation and all that news dropping on you at that, at one time is kind of like it, it emotionally will fuck you. Thoroughly. Oh, definitely. And he had a lot going on. <laughs> because they were, the actual public did not know about Chris. The police knew about Chris. He knew about Chris. You know, the Malakis downstairs knew about Chris. But the actual public knew a Marine's wife was missing. And who usually does it? The husband. Mm-hmm. So social media was eating him alive. Another strike for social media. Right? They executed a search warrant on the Corwin's and the Lee's apartments. Much to Nicole's dismay. Of course. She was extremely unhelpful and described as very uncooperative. Why do I feel like uh, in most situations that's how she would be described? Through the entire book, that's how she's described. I mean, I'm I'm Rude, lazy... Like, we're going to talk about her at the end. Oh, Lord. When they brought Chris in for a formal interview, he pretended to not even know Aaron's last name. Like, he was like, oh, bullshit. Oh, it's the same as John's. I'm like, you're not fucking John. You're fucking Aaron. You didn't tell me you know John's last name, but you don't know hers? Well, generally speaking, in the military, you are called by your last name more often than not. But 
if they're married, I'm, I, you know. <laughs> but he was just like, oh, what is her name? What is her name? Aaron something? Oh, yeah, Corwin. He continued to deny that he had sex with Aaron, stating it was just an emotional affair. And Detective Hankey, the assistant detective, noticed that Chris had a cut on his right middle finger. And he said he had got it from when he'd been out in the park hunting, and he got it from a pocket knife. I'm smelling a whole lot of bullshit here. In this interview, he slips up and says, we, instead of I, indicating there was someone in the park with him that day. Like, he says, we didn't have service. He doesn't say, I didn't have service. He says, we didn't have service. I mean, technically, any given day, even if you are there alone, you're not alone because there are other people in the park. But he had said he'd been alone all day. He then admits, I didn't see Erin on Saturday, but I did drive by her car and I did see her car. Hmm. Now, he doesn't tell, he's not the one that helped police find her car. If you drove by it, why didn't you tell the police, oh, yeah, I haven't seen her, but I did see her car on the side of the road. Maybe y'all should check that out. Never told police that. They found it on their own from, like, you know, blasting it in me- social media and the news and stuff and people reporting, hey, we, you know, this car that y'all are looking for, we saw it on the side of the road. Yeah. And that's how they found it. Not because he admits, <laughs> but he had to say he'd seen it because they had phone records saying you were right there. Uh, I got a feeling uh, he doesn't admit to much for anything. And talking more about what John was going through, he was removed from active duty. Because they didn't want him around guns, even though he hadn't done anything, and a lot of his friends abandoned him. I can kind of understand the being removed from active duty. I mean, that's... You you don't want somebody on active duty that is in a mentally fragile state at that point, which I feel like I agree. I just feel bad for him, but, like, he couldn't really... (laughs) He didn't have work to turn to to distract him. Yeah. Detectives were able to confirm that John's laptop had been used from 7 a.m. until 10 a.m. on the day that Aaron went missing. And they pretty much dismissed him as a suspect. Because he was where, you know, he said he was home playing video games. And his laptop showed that. On July 8th, after Chris was honorably discharged, because he had no charges against him. Yet. So he was discharged from the Marines. The Lees moved back to Alaska and moved in with family. Hmm, that makes makes it a little difficult for him to be arrested. Search and rescue teams looked for Aaron for weeks. Weeks? Weeks. In the heat, because she went missing at the end of June. So you're talking July and August is when they're out in this park. And Triple digits. Typically speaking, those are going to be your hottest months. Yes, it was extremely hot. They called in specialists, because at this point they're thinking she's in a mine. In a mine? In a mine. At the bottom of a mine? Yep. And then apparently there's a ton of mines in the park. I can see that. I mean, there was a lot of mining done, especially Southern California, years and years ago. So homicide detectives actually slept in their cars rather than go home at night. Like, one of the um, local guys was like, I'm going to beat these detectives here. I'm going to get here first one day. Because he kept trying, and he couldn't get there first. And then he finally gets there and realizes, 
they don't go home. That's why I can't beat them here. <laughs> and they search in triple-digit heat with special cavers like Luca Cherubinini. And Aaron's body was finally found on Saturday, August 16th, 2014, in a mine shaft just north of Joshua Tree. Wow. Damn. That sucks. Cherubini volunteered to be lowered down into the shaft to verify it really was Aaron. Even with his mask, the toxic air and the lack of oxygen made his eyes burn. Smell was awful, made up of gasoline and human decomposition. (laughs) Gasoline? Gasoline. And different gases. I'm wondering why there would be gasoline down there. Because he poured it down there. Uh, he he, he wants going to set her on fire, but it didn't work. Uh, yeah, that is a dangerous combination of fumes. Near Aaron's body was a propane tank, like one of those rhino propane tanks, mm-hmm. with blue climbing rope tied around it. That means it was lowered down. A tire, two dusty water jugs with the words property of the U.S. government on it. Zip ties, six to eight inches of black electrical tape, a homemade torch, and a Sprite bottle. It's an interesting concoction of items. We'll talk about it more. Justin Wheaton volunteered to take the second trip down, where he saw Aaron's skin had basically decomp, and the heat and the environment she'd been been in had turned her skin black. She was still wearing the jean shorts and pink shirt she went missing in. That confirms timeline. Around her neck was a homemade garage. Do you know what a garage is? I do know what a garage is. Tell people what a garage is. Garage. You really don't hear garage that much in true crime. Like, John Rene, John Benet Ramsey is, like, the only other story I can think off the top of my head that has a garage in it. Yeah, they're much more popular in... Uh, Mob a days, but uh, generally speaking, it's piece of piano wire or other thin ish wire with a couple of handles, generally a crudely attached. And you would generally sneak up behind somebody, put it around their neck, and pull nice and tight. And generally, will make a nice cut and uh, restrict airwaves. This one is made of braided nylon cord tied to two pieces of rebar. Okay. Yeah. Doesn't always have to be piano wire or something, but yeah, just... Like I said, this one's homemade, so... Something something relatively thin and flexible with two handles on the end. Yep. Aaron's shoes, her <laughs> purse, her cell phone, her engagement ring, and her car keys were not with her body, and they have never been found. I find the engagement ring to be really odd. Why did he take her engagement ring? No, fun, um, fun fact. A garage is, it's not called a garage when you're using it in this manner, but it's also what is used to remove, or what can be used as one of the methods to remove bonded in glass on your vehicle, like the back glass or the side glasses that don't roll up and down. I can't even visualize how that works. (laughs) I actually have the tools and stuff to be able to remove glass from a vehicle. So, yes, I have that stuff. Does that mean if I get killed with a garage, you're going to be the first suspect? I will now. I mean, we got too many 
people that know, so no, I would not actually use that method at this point. Oh, what would you use, sir? I'm not going to tell you. <sighs> Gotta be a surprise. Come on, where's the fun in that? <laughs> Lucky me. <laughs> the medical examiner, Frank Sheridan, found Aaron's skin to be almost mummified from the environment she was left in for weeks. Which makes sense. Yeah. She was found to have fractures to her left clavicle, left first rib, and multiple fractures to her skull. So she got a beaten. Well, the majority of these were due to the 140-foot fall down the mine and were post-mortem. Okay, so she was dead before she was thrown in or pushed in or whatever Correct. the case may be. One of the skull fractures was perimortem, though. It was to her left side just above her ear. Okay. Aaron's organs were basically non-existent. And the problem with that is her uterus was too decomposed to prove that she had even been pregnant, much less be able to get DNA to see who the father was. Mm, damn. And that was a huge blow to the case. So, um, given that the skin was preserved, I don't think there was any mummification process done to her, you know, like the Egyptians would have done. I'm wondering what would have caused the internal organs to disappear the way they did. They basically dissolved. Okay, so the body's natural juices Just basically. Yeah. Like okay. her skin was so thick. Like her skin mummified, but the interior, we're going to gross some people out, but basically her internal organs not, Liquefied? Yes, basically, yes. Liquefied and became mush and continued to decomp. Okay. But basically a natural mummification process. Then. Yeah, very much. Just because of that environment was so specific to, you know, create such um, problems with her hot, body. It was hot. hot dry it was, yeah. It was very hot. She was left out there for several weeks, like almost two months. You know. That's and not gonna be kind to anything living no, or dead. No, it's it's a miracle she was found, honestly. Yeah. Because there's multiple mines, and they were getting close to stopping. It was the last mine they checked that day, and they were getting close to giving up. I mean, you can only look so many places before. Right. You, you kind of got to call it and you know, give up, so to speak. Her death was ruled a homicide with evidence of strangulation and blunt force trauma. And six days after her body was found, Chris Lee was pulled over in a planned traffic stop by Anchorage police and arrested for first-degree murder. Mm, good Anchorage. He didn't know he'd been under surveillance for 24 hours. Oh, only 24? Once they got back confirmation it was her. They yeah. got their eyes on his they ass, were like, they? Yeah. He was in his mother's white Suburban because he had been using that since the police had impounded his Jeep. Underneath the passenger seat, they found something. Guess what they found? Mm, a garage? Yes. Really? Yes. So who was this one playing for? I don't know, but you very rarely hear of a garage, <laughs> and your murder victim is killed with a garage, and when you go to arrest your suspect, he has a garage in the vehicle with him? I mean, if we're being honest, they are, they are effective. 
Okay, but I mean, it's very, it's not the most common. No, it's no, not no. like she was shot and he was found with a gun. Like, that's nothing. Like, you're a military guy, you've got a gun, whatever. Yeah. That doesn't say anything. You're but she's neck, killed, she's randomly yeah. killed with a garage, which like nobody gets killed with. And then they go to arrest you and they find a garage in the car. Right. That's like damning evidence to me. I wouldn't necessarily say damning. Uh, definitely uh, suspicious. Right. This one was made from braided paracord and two pieces of PVC piping and black electrical tape. Hmm. And there was black electrical tape in the mine. Now, nah, remember, I won't know what the tire plays. In. The tire has to do with he had said he was going to blow up. He had told his friends because his friends had seen a tire and the propane tank, and he said he was going to, for fun, go blow up a mine and start a tire fire, which we've never done. I've never heard of doing that, but that's what he said. If you have a tire fire, you need more than just one tire. Well, that's apparently why it didn't work, because he didn't know what he was doing. Tires... Once you get them burning, they burn black as all hell, and they are hard to put out. But just one tire is not going to be that spectacular. Yeah, luckily, his plan to, <laughs> to burn stuff did not work. Now, I can confirm that shooting a partially empty propane tank with a shotgun is rather entertaining and loud. Lord help us. I was not a direct party in this. I was just a witness to the said event. Do I know the person that did this? Yes. You saw him today, actually. Your dad? <laughs> yep. <laughs> oh, my God. There's so much wrong with this DNA. I mean, nothing bad happened, but, uh, yeah, it was rather loud, and the, uh, there was rather little left of the propane tank after that. <laughs> You're not supposed to use propane things. For anything that they're not supposed to be used for. Goodness gracious. The tank was partially damaged any which way and wasn't safe to use. So he, he was just disposing of it creatively, might I add. Boys are dumb. You wonder where I get it from. I don't wonder where you get it from. That's the reason. <laughs> I do not wonder at all. I don't wonder where my child gets it from either. Ha, huh. ha. Huh. Yeah, exactly. Everything he does, your fault. No, not everything. 99.9%. No. Yes. No. Okay, back to the story. Nobody wants to listen to us argue about it. <laughs> His bail was set at $2 million and he was extradited back to California. Chump change. Aaron's case would be handled by Prosecutor Sean Daughtery, and the trial began October 11th, 2016. Now, during this trial, Isabel Megley, she's the one that owned <laughs> the horse ranch uh-huh. that the Lees and Aaron would go to. She testified a lot about Chris and Nicole. So she caught them. She just testified. They'd made some stupid comments. Like, you're like, really? Like, do you realize that you're telling this to somebody else? Aaron was still missing, and they're there, and she knew Aaron. She liked Aaron. Like, why are you saying these comments in front of her? Nicole told, would say, well, there's no body. There's no case. Hmm. And then she would fuss at Chris in front of her and say, he's so dumb, he can't keep his lies straight. I was smart. They didn't get anything from me. Sounds like Nicole knew 
a little something, something about what happened to you. They really, really thought this body was not going to be found. Uh, I feel like a few more weeks and it probably wouldn't have been. But it would have eventually been found. It had just been extremely hard to identify. I don't know that it definitely would have been found. We're going to talk about how they found it. Well, a lot of people do enjoy exploring old mines and caves and such as a hobby. Well, that's who... Okay, so Chris's friend, Joseph Hollyfield. Okay. He's still friends with Chris. Why? He's an asshole. Birds of a feather flock together, I guess. Right. Well, they get a search warrant for Chris, for this Joseph Hollyfield's phone because he had multiple pictures from six days before Aaron went missing of different mines in the park. He and Chris went out looking for mines, specifically for reasons. A scouting expedition is what you're saying. Exactly. And then Chris makes the mistake of telling other people, including Isabel, that he found a mine where you could never find a body. The more so people she, you tell, the bigger chance you have of getting caught. So she tells the police, hey, he mentioned there's a body, you know, that there's a mine that's a good place to hide a body. They start checking all the mines. They find this friend who's got pictures of mines. They go to an individual who knows Joshua Tree extremely well. He looks at the pictures and he's like, I know where this mine is. And that's how they found her body. So, we found your body because you took pictures. It led us to this. A to B to C. Evidence. And on June 28th, the afternoon that Aaron goes missing, this Hollyfield guy texts Chris and says, how are the mines, question mark, question mark. So he knew he was going to the mines. So he probably knew what he was doing. Can't prove it, but he probably knew. He says it's just a random question, but you just happen to send it on the day that he killed her. I feel like he may not have known everything, but he probably knew enough. He knew something, and it helped. Even though he didn't want to help. They, like I said, he wouldn't turn over his phone. They had to get a search warrant. Oh, you're going to help one way or another. Either the easy way or the hard way. <laughs> exactly. So, Andrew Johnson, who was a fellow Marine, he didn't like Chris. He testified that Chris had written a list of ways to hide a body. <laughs> Like made a like an actual like list, and Don't like took write the shit down like that. made a huge list of like what you would need like drew lines and made like a list like shovel like different things that you would need and they discussed like salt mines and like just salt pros and cons and different things. A salt mine would theoretically preserve the body. Well, I think they decided the salt mine wasn't a good plan. No, like they narrowed it down. But he testified as well. Never write shit like that down. And if you do, immediately burn said paper. And at least the three sheets under said paper so that people can't pull impressions from those sheets. Or just throw the whole thing away. 
Or burn the whole thing. Since he likes to burn things. Burning is much more effective. Ainsley testified that when she told Nicole, like, hey, Aaron's missing, you know, do you know anything? Then Nicole was like, I don't care what happens to that little bitch. Oh, damn. She absolutely didn't give a flying fuck if they found her. She didn't call her a home wrecking whore or anything like that? She called her a lot of stuff. I don't know what all she called her, but she definitely called her a little bitch. I feel like home wrecking whore would probably be one of the things that she called her. Probably. She also said that Chris had talked uh, so many times about death that she had lost count. Damn, really? The homemade torch was made from a wooden stick and a green t-shirt. Generally speaking, a torch is a homemade torch like that. You would generally use a cotton fabric of some sort, t-shirt, pants, whatever the case may be. Tied to the end of a, yes, generally wooden stick, but it can be any sort of object of length. <clears throat> well, I suggest don't use in a shirt. Don't use a shirt you've worn because they're going to test it for DNA. Yeah, because generally once you soak the outside in whatever accelerant you choose and you burn it, it burns relatively slow because of the tight compaction of the cotton. Well, testing actually showed no flammable liquid on the shirt. And that's why it didn't work. It's very confusing. Like, it's like, did he change his mind? Did he forget the flammable liquid and just throw the torch in there? I feel like he's just a fucking idiot. Well, either way, they tested the shirt for DNA. They also found dried blood on both of the water jugs, and they tested that DNA. The Sprite bottle was tested for DNA, and the handles of the garage were tested as well. I'm curious what the point of the water jugs were because i mean if you're planning on burning something you're not going to put water down there to potentially put i think the flammable like they found a little bit of like what was something like a flammable liquid in the water jugs and not water oh so they're just water jugs that were used to transport something flammable yeah alcohol kerosene diesel gas yeah but it didn't work so the dna on the green t-shirt match Chris Lee. Could have told you that at this point. <laughs> the dried blood was a match for Aaron. And her DNA was actually found on the propane tank as well. I mean, she hit the propane tank or the propane tank hit her at some point. Probably. The Sprite bottle was a mix of two DNA profiles. So they were both drinking from it, possibly? Aaron and Chris Lee's. Okay. It's super damning. Yeah. I mean, you really expect you threw that sprite bottle down there like an idiot. Well, he that was expecting b- it all to burn and never be found. Because a sprite bottle in your truck doesn't mean shit. Mm-hmm. You brought that with you and you throw it away, and all they find is her body. But you used your own T-shirt and you drank out of the sprite bottle with her. And sprite was her favorite drink. Hey. Take the Sprite bottle back with you. Put it in your vehicle. Dispose of it at a, another location. Simple solution to that one. But he didn't do it. DNA was actually inconclusive on the garage handles. Mm, unless he was bleeding from his hand. Which you did tell me he did have a cut on his middle finger on his right hand. I 
I can see no DNA on the grout handles. Twine found in Chris's Jeep was the same color, construction, and composition as the twine on the torch. That would make sense. And the blue climbing rope wrapped around the propane tank matched a rope found in Chris's Jeep as well. So just more and more evidence. The fence led by attorney David Kalanadines attempted to exclude the evidence from the search warrants, but failed. They always do, don't they? And they're gonna in their defense that you're gonna hear. He's a dick. Mm, why does that not surprise me? He's a lawyer, after all. Both the defense and the prosecution were too nervous to call Nicole because she was too volatile. Even the defense was scared to call her. Nicole sounds like a straight-up cunt, she ended if I'm up, being honest. She ended up causing multiple scenes in the courthouse. I'm not shocked. Including talking to the jury in the hallway when she wasn't supposed to. And then getting pissed off when she was told not to talk to him. She's like, I wasn't doing anything, like screaming so loud in the hallway that the judge can hear her and they like have to stop. She is a regular right bitch. Yeah. On October 27th, Chris decided to testify. That doesn't do much good, I'm getting, guessing. Well, this is his story. And this is why I say him and his lawyer are a dick. He admits to having an affair with Aaron, a sexual one, finally. He said he knew she was pregnant, but stated that Aaron had told him he wasn't sure she wasn't sure who the father was. Mm, bullshit. And he testified he never planned to leave Nicole for Aaron. Bullshit. He said that the plan for that Saturday was for him to go with his friends because he did invite Connor. But when Connor tried to find him, Connor couldn't find Connor him. couldn't find him. But he says that was just an accident that he really wanted Connor and his other friend to go, and uh. that his friends had bailed on him. Bullshit. So he got stuck alone with Aaron. How many times can I say bullshit? Well, you're you're not even remotely. Just get ready. Get ready. You're going to say it a lot. He says they're sitting in the Jeep. And then he pulls out a gun and he tells Aaron that every morning he plays Russian roulette. So he puts the trigger to his head. And he pulls it. And of course, nothing happens. And that upsets Aaron. So she gets out of the car. Do we have to know what type of gun said gun was? Um, it's a revolver, but I don't remember. Sorry. Well, I, I would hope it's a revolver, because that's the only way you can really play Russian roulette. But I don't remember the, anything more than that. <clears throat> I don't think he really did it, but I'm just telling you what he says he did. I feel like he just might, stupid enough, might be stupid enough to try it. He goes after Aaron, because Aaron's upset, because she didn't want him to kill himself. And he says, Aaron starts talking about how she wants to move to Alaska, and she wants to be with him, and she wants to be with Liberty, his daughter. And Aaron says, you know, I love Liberty, I love you. And he decides it's really weird that Aaron says she loves Liberty. I'm hearing a whole lot of bullshit. (laughs) Your face is like, what? He thinks it's odd that she has an emotional attachment to Liberty. No, Nala. Producer 2 is being misbehaving. Somebody's being very needy today. I sure does you. Why do you have to be needy when we're in the middle of recording? Because I'm cute. And I just am. You're not wrong about her being cute. I'm rotten. Okay, so he says he suddenly remembers one night Nicole was giving Liberty a bath. 
and Nicole noticed that Liberty's crotch area was irritated and red. And then Nicole had said that she thought that Aaron might be molesting Liberty. Oh, bullshit. And this is before they found out about the affair, before, like, long before. All right, now you're getting too aggressive. Gotta get down, girl. Like, before, when Aaron was still babysitting. He doesn't believe it at the time, continues to have an affair. They continue to let Aaron babysit after this. But he says something suddenly clicks. He asks Aaron, why do you love Liberty? And did you touch Liberty? He claims Aaron says, yes, but. And that he loses it, and that's all he hears. And then he grabs the garrote, puts it around her neck, and kills her. And that once he realizes she's dead, he puts her in the mine. And this is his story. This pile of bullshit is about 100 feet high and 300 feet wide. It's about 140 feet deep, like a mine shaft. Mm-hmm. Because he's full of shit. They, I've seen septic systems with less shit in them than him. Not a lot. <laughs> no, you gotta get down. <laughs> Everyone is shocked that this guy would lie about Aaron, but even worse, that he would talk about his now eight-year-old daughter and make her possibly have to testify in a murder trial. He threw his daughter under the bus to try and get away with murder. Oh, in front of, under, and then drove the bus. Mm -hmm. Ultimately, the prosecution decides not to call Liberty because they were worried, one, that Nicole might have (coughs) biased Liberty because Nicole is still married. She didn't leave him. Again. She was still supportive of him. We know where my feelings are on Nicole. Yeah. He does a great cross, though, and points out that neither he nor Nicole had reported that abuse to anybody. They had never taken Liberty to a pediatrician, and they had also continued to let Aaron babysit, and he continued to have an affair after the date of this supposed event. Which makes it even more sound like bullshit. It took the jury an hour and a half to find a verdict. Okay. Guilty of first-degree murder, and he was sentenced to life without parole. Good. In which state? California, I'm assuming? California, yeah, that's where it was. Yeah. California doesn't have the greatest penal record, penal system record. Well, they don't have the death penalty anymore because they've got it on a moratorium. So life without parole is the best you can get right now. Still not a fan of California's penal system. Well, no, but they do have some of the most Notorious criminals. Well, that's because it's the land of fruits and nuts. <laughs> You're going to get in trouble. I, I stay in trouble. I'm used to it. <laughs> Your mom's going to be mad at you. Letter. <laughs> After the verdict, Nicole and her brother are outside <laughs> the courtroom. Okay. Aaron's mom, who has lost her child, mm-hmm. is out like being interviewed or whatever. And Nicole and her brother get in Aaron's mom's face and are like, Liberty remembers everything. She remembers every little tickle. She remembers every touch. Blah, 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 blah. And cause this huge scene and have to be escorted out of the building. Like, just ridiculousness. Why am I not shocked in the least bit? 
John Corwin returned to Tennessee in the fall of 2014, where he went to school to become a welder, and he has since remarried. So hopefully he's happy. I, I, I hope he has gone on to uh, recover emotionally and has led a good life. I agree. On June 25th, 2016, Connor and Ainsley had Aaron Malaki. Aw. Isn't that sweet? So, one of the cavers that was looking for Aaron before she was found, this is just a side note that I found interesting. Mm-hmm. He had a relative that was a Marine <laughs> that knew Chris Lee. So this is before they find her body. He says this. He says, he did it, and he didn't shoot her. And he was like, huh? And he's like, he definitely did it. And he would have killed her with his bare hands, not shot her. And they were like, why are you asking? Why would you say that? And he's like, he's like, he's, that's just the way he was. There's something wrong with him. So he called it before they ever found her. So it would seem. And Aaron's mom, Lore, has a tattoo on each wrist representing her lost daughters. So on the right side, she has a horse with a purple mane for Aaron. And on the left side, she has a pink heart with angel wings for Trisha. I know, isn't it sweet? And the caver, Doug Billings, he's the one that used the pictures to recognize the area and testified and stuff. He built a garden on a hill five miles from the mine. It's called Aaron's Garden, and there's like a concrete bench. For her. As a memorial for her. Right. What do you think? I think Chris is a fucking douche. I think he's definitely a douche. Nicole's a cunt. I think she knew. Liberty. You think she knew? Probably. At least a portion of it. At the very end, she knew after the fact 100%. She's still married to him. I could not find, as of like 2019, she was still married to him. I couldn't find anything more recent. Most people divorce their husband. If they've gone to jail, like, for murder. If I were to do something stupid like that, I would expect you to divorce me. But I'm not going to do something stupid like that. You better Because I'm not going to get caught. (laughs) (laughs) He didn't think he was going to get caught either, but... Yeah, but see, I'm not as stupid as him. He's definitely an idiot. It was definitely... He thought he had the perfect plan that it would never be found. I mean, because he threw everything in that mine. Like, how much evidence could you put in one spot? Uh, Well, yes, it is a... It was a sound theory of not getting caught. The fact that he didn't actually burn the evidence, so to speak. Well, if you're going to go find a mine, go find a mine by yourself. Don't bring your friend with you. Don't take pictures of it. Don't tell people about it. We're not trying to tell you how to get away with murder. We're just <laughs> saying, don't be an idiot. Well, like, technically, we're not, but in a way, we are, because everyone that gets caught tells you a way to get caught. So, over time, you will eventually learn how not to get caught. Maybe. I mean, there's people that don't get caught every day. but Well, true, true. I think she definitely knew. (sighs) I don't know if she knew ahead of time. I don't know if she was like, handle it type thing. If you love me, you'll do this. Mm. But she definitely knew after the fact, 100%. And they have not said that they... They have left it open to file charges against her. If they ever find proof, they're willing to file charges against her. I would hope like hell so. Because they really tried to find stuff. They really believed that she was involved. And the poor and, kid, Liberty, she's just fucked. I'm sorry. Yeah, I feel bad for Liberty. Yeah. 
Because she's probably convinced she was molested when she wasn't. They probably have raised her to believe that she was a victim of molestation. Oh, I can't imagine all the bullshit that these parents have fed to that kid. And to try and tell her that, oh, your daddy, your daddy's in jail, not because he had an affair, but because he was defending your honor. That's a horrible person to be like, oh, you should love your daddy because blah, blah, blah. Like, no, thank you. No, me whooping some dude's ass on Bourbon Street because he touched your ass one too many times while we were out drinking. That's defending honor. (laughs) The bullshit they did, that is not defending honor. That's complete psychopath activity. It wasn't even that long of an affair. No. Like, it didn't start till February, and she was dead by June. I mean, that's... It's such a short amount of time to be killing somebody over. It's so crazy. I do feel like her... Naivete? Yeah, that's the word I'm looking for. Thank you. (laughs) I knew which word I wanted in my head. I just wasn't sure how to get it out. (laughs) (laughs) I do feel like that played a part in the affair portion of it, especially initially. While never a good thing regardless, I don't, I feel like getting pregnant was the catalyst to her actually getting killed. Oh, well, yeah, we've talked about this. It's how many pregnant women get murdered. Like it's the prime reason for, Pregnant women's death is murder. Thinking back on it now, how many cases have we talked about where it was either a pregnant woman or a new mom that got killed? It's one of the most common things, which is horrifically sad. (laughs) I feel like if she hadn't gotten pregnant and he'd have just left, she'd have learned a lesson, and then her and John could have got, I feel like he was the forgiving type. And she would have realized my husband doesn't suck. This guy, you know, she was seeing all rainbows and hearts and just thought this guy was. I feel like that marriage was near the end of its run to begin with. John and Aaron? Yes. I mean, I know it is relatively common for military spouses, especially younger ones like that, to cheat. Especially if the military spouse is deployed. She didn't cheat when he was deployed, though. I know. (laughs) That's the weird part. You know, I'm not saying that makes it right. Her parents were shocked. They were like, this does not even remotely sound like Aaron. They were like, we have trouble getting past that because they're like this. It's so different than her actual personality. And in, in that same regard, though, Leading a relatively sheltered life or being brought up relatively sheltered, it generally, not always, generally results in that sheltered individual making many more questionable choices when they get out of that sheltered environment. I just think she (laughs) was thrown into a lion's den and didn't know her way out. Hungry lions at that. And did she make a good decision? No, obviously not. No. Not at all. Could she have lived and learned from this? Definitely. Yeah, And should she have been able to? Yeah. Yeah. Did she screw up? Yeah. Did it deserve to be resulted with murder? Absolutely not. No. You know, most people get, like I said, they get to grow up and 
make 19 year old mistakes and be like, oh shit, look what I did. And now she's going to be, you know, she should have been able to grow up and be what, I guess a single mom raising a divorced single mom, raising a kid, realizing that she had gotten pregnant by a jerk of a guy. That's better than the alternative of uh, dead in the bottom of a cave. Right. Or mine. Exactly. And she would have learned and she would have grown up and. Maybe she would have had to struggle, but. Her parents would have helped her. Her parents would have helped her a lot. I have no She would have gone back to Tennessee and they'd have helped her raise that baby. (laughs) And if she'd have stayed with John, he'd have probably. I can see, like, from everything I read about John and everything I saw about John, I can see him raising somebody else's baby. I can see him raising that baby, even if it wasn't his, if they'd have stayed together. He, just the information that I've been given, he does sound like a good person. And I did read a book that I highly recommend by Shauna Hogan. You can read a book? Yes. It's called <laughs> Secrets of a Marine's Wife. And it was actually really, really good. I highly recommend that if y'all want more detailed information. They go a lot into the search and like how in depth it was and how difficult it was because oh, it I'm, was a lot. I'm sure that is a inhospitable environment in general, especially when you factor in underground mining. Yeah, that mine may have been there for years, depending on the soil composition around it, though. It could collapse at any moment. Mm-hmm. You know, you touch the wall wrong, and it could collapse on. I mean, they even. T- I mean, just talking about how going down, even with mask on, how they could barely breathe, mm-hmm. and it was just not good. I mean, it took them multiple days to get her out because they found her at the end of a day. So then they had to go back down the next. They guard, you know, left a guard. And there's the no entrance. good way to ventilate that area either to no. get the fumes out of there. No. So they definitely risked <laughs> their life. And actually, the man that went down the first trip down, he actually passed away doing another rescue since then, which is really sad. What What's funny is, you know, before we came in here and started recording, the video that was just coming on on YouTube is one of... A guy by the name of Heavy D Sparks, Dave Sparks, of Diesel Brothers fame, if anybody's watched that show. But he was, they were just starting to go in and explore a cave that somebody possibly It was the, for all the true crime people, they'll know. And and Clint doesn't know, but the true crime people, it was when they thought they found Susan Powell's body. So I was like, oh, funny, our our case is about a mine today, too. And I was like, I was like, that's not her. They didn't find her. And he's like, oh, how do you know? I'm like, I just know. I'm like, they didn't find her. And I was like, and by the way, her husband's an asshole. <laughs> he's not, he's dead. Her husband's well, dead. Aren't a lot of husbands assholes? We may do her case one day, so I'm not going to tell you, but he's worse than Chris Lee. Really? Yeah. Well, yeah. Chris Lee wasn't an asshole to his wife, technically. He cheated on her. Well, yeah. I mean, that does make him asshole-ish, but he wasn't a... He didn't kill her. He just killed a mistress. Well, Susan Powell's husband killed more than just her. Oh, so you one up. Okay. We'll not talk about her now. No, we can't talk about her we'll, now. We'll talk about that later. It's annoying because she's not found. It's a very depressing case. I don't like it. Dude. Oh, I'm sure. And I'm, 
I'm almost debating on not watching that video at this point, just in case we might do the case later, because I'm sure he will go into some of the stuff as far as the case goes. Yeah. But he's, his channel's more about the recovery and the recovering of vehicles and are getting into very hard to access places. Whereas less so much about the story of why this person may be here. Yeah. I wish it had been her, but it wasn't. Oh, well. All right. Well, thank y'all for listening. Sorry if we coughed through it a couple of times. Yes. COVID is a bitch. The devil. But I am vaccinated also. Yeah, both of us are. But. The important thing is. All that makes me think of is, like, if I hadn't have been vaccinated, how bad would I have gotten it then? Because, oh, my gosh. Well, the important thing is it was neither bad one enough. of us ended up in the hospital over it. No, no. You didn't even get sick. I slept next to him every night and he still didn't get sick. So annoying. <laughs> I don't get sick often, but when I do, does. I turn into the biggest baby on the face of the planet. This is true, but it's very annoying because he never gets sick. It happens. And I get sick all the time. And I'm the one that needs to talk. Well, I think you're getting me sick so you don't have to listen to my voice. How many times did I say something? Okay, we need to record sooner rather than later. We need to record. We need to record. I couldn't breathe. I'm aware. <laughs> last time I checked, breathing and is a little And I had a whole important. bunch of GI issues that were not great either. Yeah, no, no, GI issues are never fun, regardless. I had respiratory and GI problems. It was not You're fun. just broken. All right, I feel like I got a cough drop in. We'll talk to y'all next time. <laughs> like, record, review. Hey, we've given out some stickers. Clint, please, Lord, y'all, let Clint know y'all want stickers. Yes, we we will be sending out stickers to anybody that requests them. Uh, we've already got a couple that will be getting in the mail this week. If he remembers to pick up the stamps. <laughs> Not so much remember, it's work. Oh, whatever. All right. Y'all have a great week. Thank y'all so much. All right. Until next time. Bye, y'all.